This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, and back with me after quite a long hiatus, a couple months at least, I don't know, but here he is, your friend and mine, ready to break down what we've learned so far in the playoffs. The fantasy hockey robot, Brian Combe. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. It's so nice to be back with you and with you and you and you and everybody listening. Uh, We have hockey now. It's super weird. We're trying to wrap our heads around it. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to sort of dive back into things and get into today's show, which Elon, if I may say so myself, has a very fun theme. Yeah, uh... We're going to try something fun today. You know, obviously there's been a couple days now of hockey, but we're still considering this like a playoff preview type of episode because things are just getting started. I was thinking, you know, since we're a fantasy hockey podcast, why don't we just like look into like what are the players that we're like extra carefully watching to see what they're going to do in this playoffs? You know, there's some people, you know, Connor McDavid, it's not going to affect my thoughts on him, whether he has a good or bad playoffs when I'm drafting for fantasy next year. Like, I, I don't, you're not going to be able to change my mind about Connor McDavid. Same with like a, a bunch of other people. There's some players who, at least to me, I still have question marks about going into next year. If I had to start ranking projections for next season, I'd find it very challenging. But maybe this playoffs will give us some answers. So Brian and I have both come up with some players that are sort of on our radar to gain more evidence to learn what type of player they are for fantasy next year. Was that a decent enough summary, Brian, of what the plan is for today? That was an excellent summary. I would call it our playoffs watch list. Oh. Because we can't have actual fantasy roster watch lists, but... If I wanted to put a bunch of guys on my watch list and see how they do over the course of these playoffs to make a future decision about them, that's where they'd go. So yes, welcome to our playoffs watch list episode. I love the branding, Brian. This is going to be so much fun. Okay, and the the extra fun thing about it is Brian and I haven't even shared who's on our watch list. So we might have the exact same people. We've each prepped like eight people, eight to ten people, and we'll just go back and forth. And hopefully for each one, it won't be, oh yeah, he's on mine too. And we'll, we'll get some, but that'll maybe be fun if we both have the same list. What's the over under on how many guys we share on our lists? So how many do you have on your list? I have eight. I'd say 4.5, and I'll probably take the over, under. Okay, I think it'll be around four though. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's a fair guess. By the way, we're streaming live. We've got Fred. We've got Pat. Some other fun people. Michael in the chat room. Steve. Steve. 
Of course, Steve. Uh, so yeah, feel free, by the way, in the chat. We, we want to make this a casual fun show. It's the playoffs. You know, it's not serious. We're not like, you know, playing in our serious fantasy leagues with the most pride ever on the li- line. Like we have our playoff pools, of course. But I, to me, that's a little more chill. So yeah, feel free to, to chime in. And we'll just have a good time going through our list. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Brian, before we move any farther, though, let's, of course, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. So it's super cool that we get to say every week that we're presented by them. They've got now is the best time to be checking out Dauber Hockey all the time because now that there's actually games happening, the, I love the daily ramblings. There's an article that just went up today by Mario Prata, th- 21 fantasy hockey rambles, and you can just read all about like the main storylines happening in fantasy that you'll probably want to be aware of. Like you can see here, just as an aside, if Ryan Pulak can hold the power play one spot for the entire season, he'll probably be a top 12 defender. But you know, it's like stuff like that, and you're like, I didn't even think about that. So there's that and a million other things, frozen tools, fantastic. I just learned from Eric Douse today that you can actually look at line combinations by period and know who so like i was able to look into who played for the jets in the third period what were the line combinations after line a got injured like i didn't even know you could do that so a million tools over at frozen tools so you got to scour it better than i have apparently so yeah lots of great stuff at dobberhockey.com i knew that elon how else do you think i can call myself a legitimate fantasy hockey podcaster uh, with, <laughs> with by knowing something like that also before we get to our playoff watch list one last order of business uh, the yes. the cupful is over the season is done. We, we had some back and forth. If you're a patron and you heard our patron cast, we went into great detail about our thought processes on how you could fairly resolve the fantasy season based on the weird pause. Are we going to do anything using the games that are happening now, like the play-ins and the round robins and the playoffs? And we eventually settled on, no, we're not going to use any of that. The fairest thing we can do is use the final standings, a snapshot of how the final standings looked on the last day of play. So take into account whatever playoff series had already happened. We just had one week of playoff matchups in the book, but basically the final rankings in each division from the regular season are the final rankings for the cupful season, which means we need to look at our tier one division, the top, the creme de la creme of the fantasy world of international fantasy competition to find the name of our newest Kakupful Ultimate Champion, and it is... Drumroll. By the way, this, Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, in case, oh, yeah. I know, if, if you're a new listener. This, yeah. is our, this is our big league, and it's a tiered system, and if you're in tier one, that means you've won a bunch of times to make it there, and the person who's been there now for a while and has now claimed the ultimate throne, dethroning Dave Benton, who was there before, Max Fredrickson! Woo-hoo! Way to go, Max. Uh, some fun facts. Max went... 14 and 6 on the season, beating out Jesse Severe, uh, who was 13 and 7. So just one win got uh, Max the win. And then uh, I was third, tied with Joe at 12 and 8. <laughs> it doesn't matter because Max but had you 14 wins. And you lost your first round matchup. Yeah, so whatever. I, but the way I see it is because Tarasenko got injured. Otherwise, I'd be the one oh, that we'd be okay. talking about so right have, now. I'm glad you have your excuses. One guy who doesn't need any excuses is Max. So congratulations, Max, our newest Kukupful Ultimate Champion, who will be defending his crown in whatever the next season looks like. Yeah, and if all of my draft picks can stay healthy, then he's going to have a hard time. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. That'll be a lot of fun, and we'll talk about that, what, in November, December? I don't know. We got playoff hockey now, so that's the regular season. Let's get to the playoffs. Before we get to our watch list, one other thing, but we're, we're in the show now. These are no longer administrative notes. This is the show, but I did want to bring up one big piece of news. Uh, I guess the first fantasy hockey headline of the week, if you will. Injuries. Poor Winnipeg Jets. What a terrible first game against Calgary. Mark Shifley goes down 
right at the start of the game, Matthew Kachuk. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell from... It seems like the coach of the Jets, uh, Maurice, is like not happy with how Kachuk sort of, I guess, hit him low with his leg. And it caused... Anyways, he fell really awkwardly. Looks bad. It looks like he's going to be out for a while. We I don't haven't seen like an official update yet of a timeline, but Shifley's going to be gone. And then Patrick Laine hurt his wrist at the end of the game and missed a little bit of the end. We don't know if he's going to play. I think I already saw that there. Neither of them are going to play on Monday for game two, which, by the way, Winnipeg lost game one. It's a best of five series. So all of a sudden, they're behind the eight ball in the series count. And they have two major players injured. I looked, like I said, on Frozen Tools to see what the lines were. Uh, not great, right? Like, I guess they have Wheeler centering Connor and Ehlers. You can do that and have a good top line. Blake Wheeler could move to center. And then who's left? Like, Eakin, Roslovich, Kopp, uh, Perot, Lowry, Appleton. This lineup does not look that deep when you lose two big stars like that. So, Brian, do the Jets have any chance at this point, do you think? Or are they are they effed? I mean, they've been effed for most of the season, if not for their goaltending in Connor Hellebuck. So you take away their top-line center, and it doesn't look all that great. They did add Dylan DeMello on the back end at the trade deadline, which should help take some of the load off of Hellebuck. Like he's a decent defender and helps put, uh, solidify that top four more than it was before he got there. But now that Scheifele has gone as someone who can both score and be pretty responsible two ways, uh, they are hurting. This is going to be an opportunity for someone like Jack Roslovic to finally, uh, make the move that we've been wa- wanting him to make for the last couple years. But he's always had a little sniff and then the opportunity has been taken away from him whether deservedly or not so now I I think the Jets I hope the Jets have no choice without Brian Little without Mark Scheifele have no chance but to give Roslovic a shot at being one of their top two centers well give him at least one line one winger in Nick Ehlers or Liney or Connie or someone no Liney's injured Brian first of all well he'll be back well, we don't know that, actually. And also, I don't think that Roslovic is getting that chance. I think Wheeler's going to center, and I think Cody Eakin is the line two center. So right. Roslovic maybe will get in the top six now as a winger, but I think at least they've got the center. It would be nice if they could put Wheeler on the wing, because that's where he's better. And this season, he was forced to play center, and his numbers went down. Uh, but yeah, it's not a good situation, anyway. So yeah, so I well, look at me trying to find the silver lining, and you just swatting it away. This is a, <laughs> It's a great opportunity. Like, yeah, the Jets are screwed. But it's a great chance for someone new to emerge. So that's the name that once again, I'll be looking at to see because there's nobody else on this lineup where I look and I'm like, oh, yeah, he might he might pick it up. Like, I'm not expecting to see that from Andrew Kopp or Mason Appleton or even Cody Eakin, uh, maybe Adam Lowry a little. But Jack Roslovic is the one guy who has an upside beyond what we've seen already in his career. So if I'm a Jets fan, I'm hoping he can he can find another gear in fast. Yeah, and do you think he will? I think almost no. for sure no. I'm going to yeah, bet no. no, and I'm going to, yeah, it, it's a pretty good setup for Calgary right now. Yeah, so good for the Flames. And they were a team that, you know, the patrons voted on who they thought would win each playoff series. And from what I recall, the Jets were an overwhelming favorite, according to our patrons. And right now, I would definitely be looking at the Vegas odds to bet on the Flames. And if the odds are still somewhat decent, you you know, that seems like a pretty good bet at this point. Uh, But I guess stranger things have happened. Like you said, a goalie can put a team on their back. So who knows? Maybe Connor Hellebuck can make some magic happen. Uh, So that's the Jets. Brian, you want to get to our... Watch this. Any other like playoff? Uh, I don't know. This is in that's. I forget what the words are. But uh, anything else you want to talk about? News and notes. News and notes. <laughs> Ticks and tacks. That's not a saying either. No. Uh, quirks and quirks. 
Sure. No, okay, so let's get anyway, to our watch list. Yeah, let's just get to it. I, I think we'll probably touch on some playoff ephemera. That's also not the right word. As we go along <laughs> and, and, and hit on our playoff watch list. So why don't we just get to it? Who's going to go first? You or me? Uh, I'll go first. Because, uh, I don't know, because you asked. And it would be awkward <laughs> if I said something otherwise, I think. All right, Please, so I'm gonna go you first. The, okay, the top player. <laughs> thank you, Brian. So, so gracious. The top player on my watch list. So I, th- these aren't necessarily in order. But this is one guy that definitely I'm very excited to see what's going to happen. Is Ilya Mikheyev on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Soup, as they call him. He had a pretty decent season, right? 23 points in 39 games. It's a 48-point pace before he had that really scary injury. Uh, He injured his right wrist when he was cut by a skate against the Devils at the end of December. And if you recall, right before he got hurt, he had six points in his final six games. He was playing on a line with Tavares and Zach Hyman. And then... You know, he was expected to miss the rest of the season, but because of this delay, he's healthy, he's playing, and in training camp, he had a fantastic training camp, named the Phase 3 MVP of Toronto's summer training camp, as voted by the members of the media, and why not? He's played well, and also he's been playing on a line with Tavares, and get rid of Hyman, put him with Matthews, now I've got Tavares, Marner, and Mikheyev, so like, what a great spot for Mikheyev to be in, playing with Tavares and Marner, and... You know, like it just, he had a great exhibition game for whatever that's worth. The Leafs are actually playing right now as we record. We started recording at the same time as the game starts. Maybe we'll give updates along the way. But I feel like if Mikheyev has a strong playoffs, and it seems like he might, he goes from someone who maybe would have been like a sleeper pick in fantasy drafts next year to someone who's getting picked in like the middle rounds if we're going to expect him to continue to hold this spot in the top six with these two stars and play as well as he did in the, I guess, preseason or whatever you call it. Yeah, the same place where people were drafting Andreas Young. Johnson and Kasperi Kapanen going into this season is where Ilya Mikheyev can find himself getting drafted next season if he does uh, seem to to succeed in his audition. Being in the top six, which, as you mentioned, isn't entirely new territory. He had a run of games up with Tavares during the regular season, and he got some time with Marner as well. Uh, Mostly not, though. Uh, Those were only injury opportunities. But even despite not having a lot of time in the top six, He had a really good start to his season this year. 11 points in his first 15 games for 38 and 38 shots on goal. I remember adding him uh, as like a, just a random guy and I couldn't drop him at the start of the year just because he kept going. Of course, he fell off. He had another little run. Then he went quiet and had another run. So he was sort of a guy that ran hot and cold and you wanted to catch him on the front of his hot streaks and uh, rather than at the back. And you would just end up wasting a roster spot waiting for the next one. But I uh, am com- in complete agreement, Elon, although I still do wonder if there truly is a spot in the top six for him, because I don't think Andreas Janssen is someone who's going to get easily bumped when he is able to play. This might be a competition between Mikhaev and Hyman, and Hyman is pretty well liked in his spot. He's been there a couple years already, too. So it's just that top six in Toronto is so stacked. There's only two spots available for someone to come in and not necessarily ride coattails, but help be a complimentary player. And the Leafs have four guys to fill those two spots. So Mikhaev has his work cut out for him and he can make a, he has a chance to make a really big impression during the playoffs. Interesting. Okay. First of all, I, I heard you switch and call him Mikhaev. I was calling him Mikhaev. Yours way sounds better, I think. So before we get the negative reviews, I'm going to switch to Mikhaev. We're just going to call him Soupy. Soupy there. Well, it's such a silly nickname, but I, I guess it's fun. Uh, if I recall correctly... I think that during that 
stretch before he got injured, before Mikhaev got injured, I mean, uh, Janssen was bumped to the bottom six and Mikhaev was in the top six. But again, it's like, you're right. Like, obviously, that's still potentially an open spot. And again, that's what we'll learn from this playoffs, right? Like, if he goes on and has, like, this great run, then you've got to imagine most poolies will be expecting him to hold that spot for next year. If it could go, it could go terribly, right? Like, maybe by the third period today, the Leafs are changing up the lines because they're not able to score against the Blue Jackets. So... That's why he's on our watch list and uh, definitely someone that I'm excited to see if he can continue the great uh, preseason that he had, you know, go from being phase three MVP to play in MVP. I don't know if they give those out, but obviously that would be something that he could go for. <laughs> the not so con Smythe. Uh, yeah, I-, I also really liked his shot totals. I'm just like he's still looking through his game log. He wasn't playing sure. a ton of minutes, but he was averaging like three, just over three shots per game over his last nine before he got injured. He had three or more shots on goal in eight, uh, seven of those last nine games before he got hurt. And again, seeing like somewhere between 11 and a half and 16 minutes a night and still getting the shots on net. So that's a, that's a really nice skill to have. If somebody is going to be a complimentary player, you don't want them to just be a quiet guy who, uh, when they don't get those complimentary points, uh, they don't have the shots to go with it. And this leads me into my first playoff watch list entry, which you're just going to roundly mock and be like, this guy's no, beyond, no. beyond a watch list. Everyone's telling me to catch up and get with the program on Dominique Kubalik, who was one of the year's breakout stars. So it it wasn't looking that way for a while. 24 years old at the start of the season. Do you know he's a former LA seventh round pick back in 2013? But he's playing in Switzerland's top league for a couple years before finally making his mature NHL debut this year. Uh, There was this bright spot from Kubalik early on. He had this 10-shot game against Washington that might have been a sign of things to come, along with a handful of early three-shot efforts where we had like, oh, maybe a complimentary player who can shoot like Mikhaev. But uh, that was about all he managed in terms of any kind of offense at the start. Kubalik began the year seeing just 12 and a half minutes a night, putting up just six goals, four assists, and 10 points in his first 27 games and barely shooting, which was a theme even when he was succeeding. Uh, but going back to this first stretch, uh, Kubalik was being centered almost exclusively by David Kampf, with whom he certainly struggled to put up points. But then Kubalik got the nod to go up to Jonathan Taves' line at the expense of a couple of Alex's, Debrinkat and Nylander. And of course, we know what happened from there. Kubalik took off. He followed up this weak anonymous start to his career with 36 points in his next 41 games to finish the year, including 24 goals, uh, playing with Jonathan Taves. And it didn't even matter who the third piece was. Brandon Saad, John Quenville, Drake Kajula, Kubalik couldn't be stopped. But the reason he's on my watch list is because he barely took two shots per game, 99 shots over 41 games, while he scored 24 goals, which means that he scored on nearly a quarter of his shots when Kubalik was riding shotgun with Jonathan Tave. So he's on my watch list because there are two possibilities here for Kubalik. One is that he's an elite finisher who just needed a guy like Taves to both drive the offense and then set him up for these shots that Kubalik can put away. The second possibility is that Kubalik scored twice as many goals as he really should have. And while that, you know, maybe he's a good Mikhaev-like top six complimentary player, he's not a legit 45 goal, 70 point threat. Um, and then, you know, of course, we have one playoff game under our belts and Mikhaev goes, goes ahead and just continues to, to add to 
the mystery by scoring two goals on five shots. So they were on the power play. So you give them that, that heightened uh, shooting percentage makes more sense scoring there, but three assists on top of that for five points in Makai's playoff debut. Keep in mind, he only had four power play goals the entire season. So getting two power play goals in his playoff debut is, is really something. I wonder if he's taken that top power play spot for good with that performance. So uh, he is the first player on my watch list. Elon, am I dumb to even be watching him? Because it, it sort of signifies that I haven't fully bought in. Uh, guess what, Brian? You're not dumb. He was on my watch list too. Wow. Ding. <laughs> because not everyone on my watch list are people that I, like, I'm not into. I, I'm into him, but I agree with you. Like, he had this great rookie season, but, you know, it, it's as a 24-year-old, you brought up the low shots. He had a 19% shooting percentage. That seems high. And there was some lineup shuffling at the end of the year. So I, like you, also was wondering if he'll, he'll be able to keep it up. And yeah, one game in. A lot of those goals were against Mike Smith, and now I think Edmonton's going to be switching to Koskinen moving forward. I probably they're probably maybe regretting that goalie decision that they that they started with, and so we'll see how it goes. But obviously, an amazing start. I feel like if we were to start drafting for next season right now, Kubalik's just bumped himself up like three rounds after that amazing game, and we'll see what happens in the rest of the series. But yeah, the lines are very interesting. Like you said, the Alex's off the top power play. Who cares about Alex Nylander? But Alex Dabrinkit on the second power play because it's Doc, who, by the way, also had a power play assist yesterday and a guy that I'm very excited about. So Doc, Kubalik, Taves, Kane, Duncan Keith on the p- top power play. You uh, you have also Alex Dabrinkit doesn't seem to be on an especially... Like he's not in line with Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves. So Brian, while Kubalik is a good guy to have on our watch list, another guy I have my watch list for the other direction is like Alex Dabrinkit, who kind of had like a down year compared to what he did the year before. And now we're seeing in the playoffs, potentially, this guy might not even have a top power play spot locked in, which I thought I assumed was going to be something that he'd have for years to come. He might not even have a top six spot locked in. Like, I know that Chicago's going for more of a top nine here. Maybe they considered to bring it a guy who can run his own line and Kirby Doc is an exciting prospect. But at this point, I feel like as of now, to it's already only the third or no, the fourth. Chicago forward that you would draft, right? It would go Kane, then Taves, then Kubalik, and then maybe Dubrinkit, or maybe even Kirby Doc. Like, Dubrinkit, I think, might be falling down the depth chart in terms of fantasy value forwards on Chicago. So I'm interested to see both how Kubalik and Dubrinkit do in this playoffs to help, like, educate where I'll be drafting them next year. Yeah, Dubrinkit, what a mystifying season from him. Uh, his shot rates were just as good as his rookie, uh, sorry, his sophomore season, where he had 41 goals in 82 games, uh, but this season was even worse than his rookie season. He wasn't on pace to match his 28 goals from that year. He might have uh, just tied his overall point totals, but 45 points in 70 games, only 18 goals, not what we'd expect from Dabrinkit. A big reason for that was his shooting percentage. It was just 8.7% compared to what it sort of combined to like a, a combined 16.5% his first two years in the NHL. So that's one piece of it. But Elon, I am totally with you and being concerned about his deployment. He lost some power play time. He even lost, apparently, the mantle of being like a guy who could get pushed up to the top power play or an injury replacement on the top power play, especially when Kirby Doc came along. And by the way, those two, Doc and Debrinkit, were essentially an item for the second half of the season. And uh, it didn't go terribly well for either of them. But I think this is part of Chicago's plan is to run this sort of top nine and use what they have in Doc and to bring it to stretch their depth so that they can have three lines that are reasonable at attacking. Because you've got Taves and Kubalik on one, you've got Kane and Strom on the other, uh, and then 
Like, you have to bring it still. And it doesn't seem like Taves and Kubalik need anyone else to work with. Kane certainly doesn't need anyone else to work with. So why not try and stretch that top six into a top nine? And Elon, I also have another Chicago player on my watch list who you've mentioned and I've mentioned now, Kirby Doc is someone I'm also looking at along with Debrinkit and Kubalik to see what we can expect from him based on how he's used these playoffs. Doc continued on the top power play so far uh, and with Debrinkit and Kajul at five on five, like exactly where he ended the regular season. Uh, he had the one power play assist uh, from the top power play unit and 19 minutes of ice time in his first playoff game. Uh, those 19 minutes, including five minutes on the power play. But one thing that was really nice about Doc is that his time on ice, like they really looked like they were bringing him along. His time on ice started low around 12 minutes, but it consistently rose through the season from 12 to 14 to 16 minutes, culminating in where he is now, that top power play spot, and in what I think is a top nine. Uh, The downside of Doc so far, I mean, he's a rookie. He's a very young rookie. We can't expect a whole lot from him, um, but he did have just two little runs of scoring through the year, about five or six game stretches uh, on his way to picking up just 23 points in 64 games. But now I'm wondering the way Chicago's using him, it seems to me that they're asking him to be a legit scoring line center now with Debrinket and say, you guys are going to be part of our attack, pair up, do some damage. So I want to see what Doc does with Debrinket on that third line, quote unquote. And I also want to see, maybe this is bad news for Dylan Strome, right? If Kirby Doc does really well, uh, and Debrinket is still like not seeming like a capable partner, maybe Doc gets elevated to the second line. And maybe Doc keeps Dylan Strome off the top power play too. And I'm also curious to see how this Doc Debrinket chemistry works. Apparently, Jeremy Colleton feels very strongly about how they work together, seeing as they've played like 30 or 40 games together without really any kind of results, even though that third piece has shifted a lot. Neither way, neither configuration of that line has seemed to bring points in spades. So either uh, Jeremy Colleton's really happy with their two-way game uh, being on that third quote, I'm just going to say, you know, the bottom of that top nine, or sees things that we haven't seen yet in terms of offensive potential. Yeah, I mean, to me, Kirby Doc isn't on my playoff watch list because he's only 19, and like I know he's going to be awesome. My interview with Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers when I talked about the Blackhawks, it was like it's like obvious that he's going to be usurping Dylan Strome, if not like as soon as next year than the year after. Like I think Dylan Strome, like Kirby Doc is like their prize. Like hope, hopefully their next Jonathan Taves. You know, so I think that uh, he's going to be great. And yeah, anything he does in the playoffs makes him more exciting. But to me, it's almost like we know he's good. So yeah, to me, I'm very concerned <laughs> about like Debrinket and Kubalik and which one of them gets that top power play spot. Because I think Kirby Doc, now that he's there, he's he's probably sticking there for the next like ten years. It, it seems that way. Also, uh, Fred in the chat asked, how did Taves score when Kubalik joined uh, Taves? And uh, Taves went off for 45 points in 41 games, but he was already really on track for a really fantastic season. So uh, yeah, I th- Kubalik helped, and they both. I think they really helped one another. And they had some like kooky shooting percentages together, which definitely helped fuel their numbers. But still, uh, Taves, I think, was well really benefited from having a a finisher, apparently, like Kubalik alongside him. This has been fun, Brian, by the way. I'm enjoying chatting with you again. I I don't know. It's it's just like old times, right? Uh, So 
By the way, was Mikhaev on your watch list? He wasn't. We just have one ding so far. Okay, one for two, 50%. That's around what I was expecting. So let's see if this next guy... This one's kind of weird. I had one guy and I changed it just today. (laughs) So I was going to come up and say that I'm really excited to see what happens with Connor Garland of the Coyotes because he had a very good year this year, 39 points in 68 games for a 47-point pace. But the guy produced big time when given the opportunity, right? Like the problem was he'd get on a good line and he'd get bigger minutes and he'd start putting up strong stretches. He had eight goals and nine assists in 18 games from mid-January to late February. And he was getting like above 60 minutes per game in that stretch. But then like at the end of the year, he once again got bumped down to only 12, 13 minutes. And when we did our interview with Richard Morin about the Coyotes, he seemed like super impressed with Connor Garland and was talking about how like he disagreed with how he kept on getting bumped down the lineup. And he was like, no, this guy's amazing. They should be putting him in the top six and giving him opportunities to score. And then like I was watching in training camp before these playoffs and I saw that it was Garland playing on the top line with Hall and Dvorak. So I was like, man, this guy could really make a name for himself with the big playoffs. And then we had a game today. The Coyotes beat the Predators 4-3. to And no, Connor Garland bumped. He wasn't on the top line after all. They shifted things around. Phil Kessel got that spot on the top line with Hall and Dvorak. And Kessel had himself a nice game. He was also on the top power play where he picked up a power play assist. He also assisted on a goal by Dvorak in the first period. So now I'm shifting this. At this point, I'm already like done with Garland. Like This is probably what it's going to be like for him next year. You know, you could draft him late in fantasy. and Maybe he'll get shots on the top line. But I was hoping this playoffs would be the start of something. And now it's just like more of the same, right? But on the other hand, Phil Kessel, someone we all know and love as supposedly an elite fantasy contributor until this past year when he stunk. He only had 38 points in 70 games for a 45-point pace. But hey, two assists today. And if we see this continue, and if he sticks on the line with Taylor Hall, of course, a problem is that Taylor Hall might not be back next year. So that would put another question mark. But if Phil Kessel can get back to being the like top line you know, superstar player that he was supposed to be when they got him, then then he could definitely raise his fantasy stock. Because, Brian, we did keeping Carlson playoff pools with our patrons. Uh, We did a bunch of them. And in a lot of them, Phil Kessel wasn't even drafted. That's how low he was on people's radars. So, uh, yeah, he's now the guy that I'm watching very closely to see if he can continue what he did in game one for the rest of the playoffs. As nice as it is to see Phil Kessel alongside Taylor Hall at even strength, it's also nice to see him back on the top power play from which he was booted for like the last six weeks of the season. He even lost that, which is why I think his fantasy stock has just fallen so low that people aren't even thinking about drafting him when they come to a playoff pool. It also might have to do with their belief and faith in how far the Coyotes can go, especially with all that uh, fun off-ice drama that happened on the eve of the playoffs. Uh, But it is nice to see that Phil Kessel still has something left in the tank. I mean, it's not that we doubted it. He just wasn't in the right situation. I I, I don't know what Arizona... I doubted it. I doubted it. (laughs) And when we talked to Richard Moore and he doubted it. (laughs) Yeah. Well... It was just a matter of who he had to work with. Like, Phil Kessel... No, I don't think so. I think we saw... I don't know. From that interview, I recall him being like, Phil Kessel wasn't playing well. That that was the impression I got. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to throw that in. (laughs) No, I remember that too. But it's the same way we've talked about someone like Sergei Bobrovsky, which is like, you bring in this guy and you don't tailor your system to his strengths, he's not going to play well. And I think that's what happened with Kessel, uh, just like at what he was being asked to do. I think they thought he'd show up and all of a sudden their power play would be Pittsburgh's power play uh, if he just did in Arizona what he did in Pittsburgh. But all the other pieces aren't the same either. So it's nice to see him playing with someone elite, Taylor Hall. Um, I think back in Kessel's younger days, he just needed someone like 
Tyler Bozak to work with and they'd be fine, although they'd get filled in possession wise. So it was sort of like break even by the time you, you, you considered all the goals that line gave up uh, against all, all the goals they, they produced. But in Arizona, uh, you don't have that kind of luxury to give up a lot of goals. Uh, and Phil Kessel is going to need to step up potentially without Taylor Hall next year. So to me, it's a tricky one to watch just because uh, the lineup could look so, so different next year. Taylor Hall is a just a massive difference maker in an NHL lineup. So we'll see if he sticks around. Uh, but this is some good data for if Taylor Hall does stick around. And if Phil Kessel does also stay playing with him, it just makes you wonder what's left for the other Arizona lines. I guess you've got Clayton Keller and Barrett Hayton coming up at some point. I mean, I guess, yeah, you used to love Derek Stepan. I don't know, I guess you're over. Christian Dvorak, by the way, we should mention top line center Christian Dvorak, so good for him. He could also maybe make more of a name for himself in these playoffs. But yeah, obviously, Brian, I'm actually surprised you haven't yet given us your annual rant about how we shouldn't even be paying attention to the playoffs. <laughs> I have a, like, uh, I, we, we should probably put this caveat that these are the guys we're watching. and doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily put all of our, like, you know, analysis for next season into what we saw in these playoffs. Yeah, this is just like, for me, this is just like a bonus bonus set of games to see what would happen if we had another 10 or 20 games of data to pull from. And I'm going to look at it as just that size of sample. Uh, And it's going to be really weird to consider it alongside what happened, you know, up until March and decide like if I should just merge all that together. But yes, Elon, here it is. Uh, I I didn't want to be a wet blanket tonight. (laughs) Hockey's back. We're back. Uh, but yeah, playoffs don't matter and it's all imaginary and none of it, <laughs> none, no, none no. of it will have too big an impact next year, except I think what we're saying about a lot of these guys is based on their performances, they may or may not earn or lose opportunities for next season, which is going to be a, a big piece. Like we've seen players' careers, uh, you know, at least or expectations go through the roof because of their playoff performance. So if there's some guys we believe in, and we just want to see uh, if they can get their team to believe them and their coach to deploy them in a certain way. This is a really great way to sort of get ahead of that before the next season officially starts. Yeah, for sure. For me, deployment is a big thing. Like I said, like we were talking about like Debrinket off the top power play. Now, if we're talking about Phil Kessel back on the top line, it's nice to see that Kessel like has the you know belief from the coach that he should be a top line player. So even if Taylor Hall's gone, at least we know that Kessel hasn't totally gone in the dumps and in the doghouse. Uh, all right, so Brian, this has been fun. We've done three of our what we have. 16 watch this guy so uh we'll see how this goes for the rest of the way i guess we uh we like to chat that's why we have a podcast uh but before we go to your next watch this guy let's take a second and thank our sponsor for this week's episode actually our sponsor for this whole run of playoff episodes that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks and those are our friends over at DraftKings. man boy oh boy brian how nice was it to see the guys back on the ice <laughs> over the weekend going into the week we are all excited to see what week two of this hockey restart will look like. I got to tell you also, by the way, DraftKings sent us this thing about basketball. This is another exciting thing, right? There's, there's more than one sport, believe it or not. So like basketball's back, hockey's back. And if it's not enough excitement for you to be watching all these sports, you've got DraftKings out there, the leader in one day fantasy sports. And they're offering you a shot at a share of millions of dollars every day this coming week if you play DraftKings. So if you haven't tried it, 
Fantasy basketball, fantasy hockey, super easy to play. You pick eight players, you stay under the salary cap, you pile up the points with their three-pointers and rebounds and assists in basketball, your goals and shots, and you guys know how it works, right? You, you got categories, they're worth points, okay? And there's no better way to put your hockey and basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a share of, again, millions of dollars right there for you. And like I said, you've got lots of sports. You've even got fantasy golf action, if anyone's excited about this week's major. Brian, who do you got winning the uh, golf tournament this week? Sam Snead. Is that a real person? I think he, like, is a long-retired golfer who may or may not be alive. Phil Mickelson is going to be my pick. Oh, good one. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, get in on the action before the golfers tee off on Thursday for a shot at that $1 million top prize with millions of dollars up for grabs this week. There's no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. And if you want to get your skin in the game, you can download the DraftKings app now and use the promo code Carlson, like Eric's last name, to get a shot at millions of dollars in prizes every day this week. That's promo code Carlson to get a shot at millions of dollars in prizes every day this week, only at DraftKings, of course, Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. But if you do want to play DraftKings, I think this next player on my watch list might come in handy because he's listed at just $3,800 in salary compared to your Alex Ovechkins of the world who are more than twice that at $8,200 in salary. Uh, The next guy I am watching... The next guy who Brian says just as good as Alex Ovechkin. So excited. (laughs) Well, just in terms of value, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) uh, Is... Andrew Mangiapani. Now, I don't always Ooh. consult Google Translate to prepare for shows, but I did just to confirm that Andrew Mangiapani is the real bread man of the NHL. Manja eat, pane bread, bread man. Well, eats bread. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> there go. Yeah. Step there aside, you- Panarin. Mangiapani <laughs> is our bread man now. So, uh, Manjapani, if you're not familiar with him, you might not be. 24 years old, sixth round pick back in 2015. He finally graduated this year to being with the big club in Calgary full time after he had proven what he needed to prove in the AHL with uh, point per game production over parts of three seasons. Uh, then Manjapani got to the bigs and didn't have much to show for the first large chunk of his year. And that includes time that he spent with Matthew Kachuk and Elias Lindholm. So he wasn't like getting garbage for line mates and deployment. Uh, but he was slowly being given more time on ice uh, as he went, even though things weren't going so well for him on the score sheet. And let's be honest, uh, things were awful on the score sheet for all of the Flames. If you were an owner of Goudreau or Monaghan or Lindholm or Giordano, you felt it all season long. Uh, but then Manjapane got going. The moment he really began feasting came when Elias Lindholm went back to the top line to join Monaghan and Goudreau. Uh, this was at the end of January. And then Manjapane and Kachuk were joined by Mikhail Backlund. And from that point on, that trio became one of the hottest Line, second lines in the league, maybe even one of the hottest lines in the league for a short while. Manjapani finished the season with seven goals and six assists for 13 points in his last 12 games, all of it coming at five on five, not even using uh, some fa- any power play deployment to get there because he wasn't getting it. Uh, Manjapane had 28 shots over th- those last 12 games, almost three per game. But with seven goals, of course, means he scored on 25% of his shots, which is high uh, and unsustainable. His line was shooting at a high percentage, too. But it was really promising to see him uh, 
put up over a point per game in a stretch towards the end of the season with a couple line mates with whom he was really clicking. And then in game one, we saw him back with those same line mates. Uh, he played only 12 minutes, but he had a goal. He had a power play assist. He had two shots. And that's all great. A great start for Andrew Mangiapane to pick up from where he left off when the season was paused. So he's on my watch list because I want to know if that second line in Calgary, Mangiapane, Kachuk, and Backlund, can continue being this legit, constant scoring threat. If they can, that's great news for Calgary's playoff run. Also, uh, Mangiapane has been a really interesting guy in that, like Kubalik, you look at his career numbers, any league, any level he's played at, goal scorer, like higher goal totals and assists. Uh, Manjapani is a guy who's always had this 50-50 split his entire career. Uh, so I want to get a sense of exactly what his role is on this line. Is he the setup man? Is he the trigger man? Or is he still the sort of balanced in-between guy who if he's going to get 60 points, it's going to be like a 28 goal, 32 assist kind of split. So that's what I'm looking for from Andrew Manjapani this postseason. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he ended the season strong. We'll see if he could continue it. And hey, he had a goal and an assist yesterday. Artemi Panarin, only an assist yesterday. The real bread man. There you go. So we've decided our new bread man, Manjapani. Yeah, I picked him in, in one of my drafts. And I was thinking, like, Ugh, I guess I have to pick him. It was like really like, it was a deep, deep draft. I was like, I guess I'll take Manjapani. And I, obviously, I'm happy with what he did yesterday. And he's in a good spot. And according to my interview with Kristen Anderson about the Calgary Flames, she said there's not really anyone coming up that she expects to like bump him from that second line, at least next season. So yeah, this playoffs should just continue to be a preview of what we'll expect next year and i think uh, as things look this is someone who should probably be drafted in fantasy leagues this year probably for the first time i don't think last year except in super deep leagues people were drafting manjapani maybe they were picking up as a free agent every now and then but he wasn't really on people's radars clearly now he is as the new bread man or the real bread man (laughs) the real it's like real undertaker and fake undertaker now so brian i don't know if this counts i had a flame i guess it doesn't count so i had a flame on my list but it was gaudreau Actually, he's someone I'm watching because he had this, like you said, he had this like kind of sad season, 58 points in 70 games, which would be good for a lot of people. But for Gaudreau, who had 99 points the year before, it was a disappointment. Plus, there were these rumors of him not being in shape going into camp. So I was like kind of curious, like, is Gaudreau like not as good anymore? Is he going to really like disappoint him? If you recall last year's playoffs, he did nothing, right? And that's one of the big reasons why Calgary couldn't get past, I believe it was Colorado, if I remember correctly. So, uh... Yeah, uh, he had a game he, uh, yesterday. He scored a goal. So obviously Gaudreau back on the top line. Like, no concerns there. And he, he looked good. So maybe it's the kind of thing where he was just on my watch list, not in terms of, like, I wonder if he's good, but just, like, well, a little bit, yeah. I wonder if he's good. Like, I wonder if he could be as good. So he's someone I'm watching. But, yeah, Manjapani is probably the one who has the bigger potential fluctuation in where he'll get drafted, depending on how his playoffs go. Yeah, Gaudreau's a guy we hope is just gonna regress back to his mean like he had a rough start to the year uh, and just about the time that I got fed up with him and traded him he had 38 points in 50 games just above a 60 point pace which is not what you expect from I can't remember if he's my first or second round draft pick in the cup fall a huge letdown uh, then of course he went off for 20 points in his last 20 games right when the season was paused so he'd already st- sort of started recovering and that's about the same time things started clicking for Majapani on the second line Linholm moved back up to the top line that top trio which was one of the the, the league's best lines in 1819 finally was allowed to reunite for long enough to find their chemistry again. So for me, Gaudreau already has come back, but it was a little concerning to see, yeah, he had such a crummy season, such a frustrating year. And if he did come back to camp, 
uh, not appearing to take seriously the task ahead of him, which is to play in the NHL playoffs, that would that's really disappointing. So I I'm actually more curious from that standpoint to see like if he is in the coach's doghouse or the fans' dog or whatever doghouses he's in, if he can play his way out of them and reassure everybody that he still has that point per game upside or more next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Calgary, we'll see. They might have an easy time against Winnipeg based on what we talked about at the start of the show, and then we'll see what they can do against a maybe more fully stocked team. Not not to totally count out the Jets, but as we discussed, it's not looking great for them. Uh, okay, so I guess I'll go to my next guy now. So I skipped over one, but it doesn't matter. We, we're starting to not have a, uh, many hits here, so I think maybe I was way off and thinking I was gonna we we're going to be the same on like 50%. We'll see if this guy's on your list. Uh, I was really excited to see what's going to happen with Andre Burakovsky this playoffs over in Colorado. He's someone who I was very interested by the line combinations in training camp. He's been skating with McKinnon and Rantanen on the top line, leaving Landeskog and Kadri to play together on the second line, I believe with Valerie Nishushkin. And yeah, Burakovsky had this like, crazy breakout year this year 45 points in 58 games so that's a 64 point pace but there are a lot of reasons to like be skeptical that this is something he'll be able to continue like first of all 19.4 shooting percentage seems unsustainable also colorado had so many injuries which led to burakovsky getting so many opportunities on the top line on the top power play like playing so much with mckinnon that we wouldn't have expected him to get if everyone was healthy but like i said in the preseason game versus minnesota burakovsky was playing on that top line with mckinnon and rantanen he was also playing on the top power play with mckinnon and Ranton and Landeskog and Makar leaving Kadri on the second power play, which surprised me. But uh, we'll have to see. Like if this even sticks. I'm looking right now. We're like mid game, St. Louis and Colorado for one of these round robin games, and it looks like a goal was scored by Colorado. It's one one now. And if I look at the plus minus of people, it appears that Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen are all plus one. Oh, yes. surprise! So that makes me wonder if maybe Burakovsky's already been bumped from that line. Was it an even strength or power play goal? Even strength goal, Ryan Graves assisted by Rantanen. So I assume it was like Rantanen's line was on the ice. This is like real time trying to figure (laughs) it out. I'll be able to find this out on Frozen It'll all be so clear by the time anybody is listening to this, what the actual deal was. But I guess this is kind of similar to what I was saying about like Debrinket before, right? Like, or, or no, someone else, someone who was like on the top line that maybe bumped. Oh, uh, Garland. You know, like even though Garland didn't have as good a year as Burakovsky, what I'm saying is if Burakovsky is to like hold this top line, top power play spot all through the playoffs and have a good playoffs, that makes me confident that you know he'll assuming he resigns with Colorado, he's a restricted free agent. But like assuming he comes back, you'd think okay, maybe he's bumped Landeskog from that spot. But if he right away gets dropped, maybe it's already happened. Then you think okay, this guy's like probably a second line guy, and he can still have a good year, but maybe not as good. So I'm interested to see how that line will shake out in the playoffs if Colorado goes back to their stacked top line or if they mix things up. It's too late now to give draft advice, I guess, because most pools have already drafted, unless you're going to do another redraft like we are in our Keeping Carlson playoff pools. We have 12 divisions. It's not the good cup full, but it's it's pretty close, actually, in terms of postseason. Uh, so anyway, if you're redrafting once the next round begins, I mean, the secret might be out, but Burakovsky, Elon, I think is a great guy to be watching. I'm looking at shiftchart.com just to see what's happening live in this game. And it seems like he has been with Ranton and McKinnon for the most part, which is uh, one reason why I had him on my list in one of my drafts is somebody to snag very deep, very late. 
and I got sniped. It, I was oh. so mad. Like, somebody else must have also been looking at stats since January 1st, because that's when Burkowski really started lighting it up. He had 20 points in his last 18 games. Elon, you mentioned his high shooting percentage. Uh, a lot of that was driven uh, by this last stretch where he scored seven times on 27 shots for a 26% shooting percentage. But the thing is that he still had 13 assists in these 18 games. Take away all those goals. And he'd still have had really respectable or just above respectable numbers. So I love what Bur- like that Burakovsky might get an opportunity. We remember his history being in Washington, being a guy who never seemed to be able to stick in the opportunity that we long wanted to see him get. It was him and Marcus Johansson just like sort of trading off and taking time from one another. So now that Burakovsky could have a long look on the top line in Colorado, I love the idea of watching him to see what happens. He's one of the league's hottest finishers leading up to the pause. So let's see what happens now that he seems stuck in a really great deployment situation. Yeah, or maybe he's bumped. But even if he's bumped, he'll go to the second line. And also there's still that top power play, which is intriguing. So yeah, lots to watch. Uh, Was he on your list? Sounds like no. He wasn't. I mean, so no, I, I have this short list, right? So I have a long list. On my long list, I had Kessel, I had Dabrinkit, I had Mikheyev, uh, <laughs> but I shortened it to the guys that I was watching the closest. So I don't think it's fair to count that long list. Fair, uh, fair. So, okay. So yeah, we're still uh, not... I- I'm sure, though. I am sure we're going to have a match here with my next guy. If you're not watching this guy, Elon, you're crazy. You're an idiot. His name... Well, I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but his name is Capo Caco. Do we have a ding? No. <laughs> uh, why? Why, I mean, why? I think instead of me telling you why I'm watching him, you should tell me why you're not. <laughs> I mean, so what? Because he got on a line with Panarin in the last game. He was playing with Panarin and Strom. Yeah. Yeah. So that, the thing with Kako <laughs> is kind of similar to Kirby Doc, right? Like, I just feel like I know he's going to be better next year anyways, because he's only a teenager and he had a rough rookie season. So it's kind of just like for me, it'll be interesting to see, but I'm not going to base too much on like what a rookie does in the playoffs. Like I assume he's going to be a top six guy on the Rangers for years and years to come, unless he's a huge major bust. So that's, I guess why he's not like at the top of my mind for like players. I really need to like get some more data on before I can decide what I think about them. That's fair for the most part, but I think for Kako, I I think you're, uh, you're not giving enough weight to just how awful a first impression he made with his rookie season in New York. Expectations were like high, maybe unreasonably high, but he not only whiffed on what reasonable expectations would have been, he was awful. And he was inconsistent. He was the topic of like fans uh, discontent much of the season. And one theme on Rangers Twitter was essentially people complaining about Kako saying he's a bust. And then, you know, like some of the beat writers or authorities on the team, um, with the more trusted level head of people saying like, he's not a bust, just be patient. And then other people would be mad <laughs> at the, at the beat writers for saying that and be like, why don't you believe in Kako? He's amazing. David Quinn just hates him. Like, it was coming from both sides, Kako love and Kako hate. And the truth was just that this was a guy who, uh, it's funny you brought up Kirk, Kirby Doc because his numbers were almost identical to Doc's 23 points in 66 games. And like Doc, Kako also just had this like one little run of seven points in six games that came in November. Outside of that, struggled both with and without the puck. And like there 
was a ton out there about how coach David Quinn wasn't convinced in Kako's ability and wasn't giving him the opportunity. And like I said, Kako was this lightning rod for discussion on whether his struggles were his fault or his deployment. I settled somewhere in between, but of course there's enough blame to be passed around to anyone involved and not setting up your 18 year old rookie for success. And one big reason that I don't think he was very well set up for success, even if he was ready to play or wasn't whatever, uh, but there's no excusing what his line mates looks like. I like to go to hockeyviz.com to look at uh, the prog- progression of a player's line mates over the course of the season. So it shows it's like a color map and uh, each line mate that a player plays with is assigned a different color. And Kako's uh, hockey viz line mate chart looks like this rainbow Rorschach test uh, where he's just got different colors all over the place, just a wild mix of people. And for the most part, Kako never rose above being uh, saddled with guys like Brett Howden or Brandon Lemieux for very long. Uh, so it was encouraging to see Capo Kako first. We heard coming into camp, oh, wow. I don't know if you caught any of that buzz and chatter, Elon, but there was a lot about how how in shape Kaka was, how it looks like he's he's found his confidence again. And then Jesper Fast gets hurt early in the game, and that lets Kako land with Panarin and Strom for most of the first game of the Rangers playoffs. And he did everything he could to convince everybody that he was ready and he had found himself this other level. No Rangers line won the possession battle against Carolina in the first game, but that that line, Kako, Panarin, Strom, at least held things nearly even. So Kako was not a defensive liability. Sure, he didn't light things up, but he had a five-shot performance over 15 minutes of work. He drew two penalties, and there were several of the more level-headed Rangers authorities who were saying that Kako was the best Ranger on the ice, not even close. That counts Zabanejad, that counts the fake bread men. Kapo Kako <laughs> was the Rangers' lone bright spot from game one. And that's a huge, huge jump from where he was at the end of the season. So that's why I'm watching him. Just to see, like, Elon, I agree. I don't doubt that there's good things in the future for him. But like Doc, it's just like, okay, how soon is it going to happen? And if Kako can show us now in these playoffs that he's ready, then I I'm ready to get as hyped about him for next season as I was at the start of this one. (laughs) Okay, well, I hope that you're right. I hope we will get to see this for a little while, because I actually put down a small amount of money on the Rangers to win the Cup, and uh, I'm not happy with the result of this first game, so hopefully that'll change. Uh, I was very disappointed, by the way, to see that Igor Shostyorkin was (laughs) injured, because I feel like my bet should be null and void right there, because that's the whole reason I made this bet. And I know everyone's going to be like, oh, but Lungfist was good, like, it's not his fault. And, like, I know that's true. Like, I talked to Shayna Goldman, right? And she, like, said the exact same thing. Like, you know, it's not just because Shostyorkin came in that the Rangers started winning games. Like, they were playing better, and Shostyorkin was obviously great, but Lungfist was also actually a lot better than his numbers show, because blah, 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 expected save percentage all this stuff and Longfist stopped 34 of 37 shots in this game against Carolina but I just have this gut feeling that they would have won if Shostorkin was in there I'm sorry oh just, my god of course you do he wins games Shostorkin's uh, a, win- a winner the Rangers gave up what three yeah three goals and that's three more than Shostorkin would have let up so you're right Elon I'm with you 
<laughs> so anyway, uh, very exciting. Did you see I'm, that he might play the next game? I hope so. He's like injured and it's like not COVID related because he was like watching the game. So people were like, oh, because, you know, they can't say what the injuries are. So people are just like, oh, unfit to play. He maybe has COVID. But it's like, first of all, the NHL hasn't reported any cases. And also he was like there watching the game. I don't think they would let him watch the game. Anyways. Well, how close was he to anyone else? Yeah, okay. I think that you, you put the person. I mean, I'm not a public health expert. I'm only married to one. But I think that you're not supposed to be like out in public if you... uh are tested positive but that's not this podcast that's another podcast which i'm not on so uh let's go to the next so that's a fun one who should i go to next how about let's go to another player that was in this game rangers against carolina let's go to the carolina side a late addition after the game because i was in a draft with brian as my opposition and in this draft we all took Uh. one player per team and it was down to the very last pick of the entire draft and i had one player to pick left on carolina seven or nine had already been taken and i messaged brian like i like i sometimes do which i'm starting to realize i shouldn't be doing and i was like i'm thinking of taking slavin on carolina he had such a good great season you know he had a 43 point pace season by the way plus also his last playoffs was really good he had 11 assists in 15 playoff games last year i don't know if people remember that and i know he's not on the top power play but this guy seems to be turning into a decent offensive player and then brian was all ah, i'd rather vatten i'd rather jordan stall even don't take slave and i was like yeah you're right well slavin a goal and an assist yesterday my stall pick sucked he didn't do anything also slavin led the team in time on ice by a wide margin even with like both vatten and gardner ahead of him on the power play depth chart slavin hardly gets any power play time but he just gets so much overall ice time that he makes up for it and you know what but, but he's anyways he's on my watches not only just to uh, be like shove it brian but also because it's interesting that he had this big season this year 43 point pace like i said before that he had never had more than 34 so like sometimes players like level up right like I, i'm curious like has this guy just like leveled up and now he's like a 40 plus point guy moving forward when he was a 30 plus point guy before or did he just have a lucky season and he happens to you know step up in the playoffs as he did last time and i don't know one game in <laughs> seems to be doing this time uh like it doesn't seem like hamilton being present or absent matters because it's he's not getting these points in the power play anyway so he's someone i'm watching if he has another strong playoffs then i feel like i'm going to be somewhat confident that maybe he can also get these 40 points again next year but of course i'm ready for brian to shower me with slave and hate I'm not going to hate him. You might call it hate if I don't lavish him with the same phrase you do. That's your move. Uh, but no, I'm not. If you go back and listen to any February or March episode of Keeping Carlson, and it's this exact same conversation. It's look at how well Slavin's doing. It's not even on the power play. And, and like he, he seems to have found this new gear. And like, yeah. He was incredible, 14 points in his last 19 games, and that came after pretty much most of the season, where he'd been close to a half point per game player the whole way through, which is uh, which was new territory for Slavin, who'd never been above 34 points in his previous four NHL seasons. One thing that worked for him, especially towards the end of the year, is that he was being given this bigger workload like he was seeing these 25 to 27 minute night assignments and uh i think just being on the ice more often helped him get these points like i i don't have a great take here aside from that i think if slavin is a consistent 25 minute a night player yeah i'll boost him from a 30 to a 40 point guy but i'm still not going up like i'm not seeing anything crazy different about his game that means he should be all of a sudden hitting this new level uh, i am still more interested in sammy vatnin who is playing probably on the top power play actually never went to 
went to confirm that he was on that top unit. Yeah, uh, Vatnin was on the top power play. Hamilton might be back before the end of the series. Vatnin's yeah. just like, blah, whatever. He's fine. He, he did get a power play assist in that game. So obviously it's not too bad. But I feel like he'll come and go. He's going to be a UFA anyways at the end of the year. So who even knows if he's going to be... He's probably not going to be back with Carolina next year. Or, or I don't know, one in 31 chance. But like... Uh, like I, look, I'm, not a, there. <laughs> I'm not some crazy Vatnin booster either, but he was a half point per game player on the Devils, whose power yeah. play was just entirely broken, and he had success quarterbacking their power play at 10 power play points in 47 games. That's almost a 20 power play point pace for Vatnin, so why wouldn't I just take that? And uh, I think he's, uh, I, I didn't, again, I, I forgot to actually check the game logs here for Carolina's first game. But yeah, he was on the top pair with Slavin. So he's going to be on the ice as much as Slavin at five on five. And he's quarterbacking the top unit. I'm interested until, of course, Dougie Hamilton comes back. So for if Carolina makes a deep run, Elon, I, I like Slavin more than Vatnin. Anyways, it was just for fun. Like, obviously, I just shouldn't have taken Jordan Stahl in the end. That was the real lesson. I should have taken Vatnin or Slavin. But uh, here's another update, by the way. Uh, Colorado <laughs> just scored a power play goal at the end of the third to win the game with a second left, I'm seeing. Holy cow. So that must have been an exciting finish. I can't wait to see the highlight here. Uh, Nazem Kadri scored the power play goal assisted by Landis Gog and McKinnon. So another piece of evidence that maybe Burakovsky's been bumped from that second exciting place that I thought he was, which was on the top power play, because apparently something changed at the end of the game. Oh, or maybe they had the extra... Oh, they probably pulled the goalie and had six people on the ice. Were they so, behind? It was tied. Oh, yeah. So, so why would they have... Why would yeah. they do that? So anyways, <laughs> more reason to maybe uh, not think Burkowski's holding this super plum deployment. But that's, again, something we'll have to check in after the fact. But good for Nazem Kadri to get back on that top power. Because he he would be the, you know, the Debrinket to Burakovsky's Kubali, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I would be worried about Kadri if he's bumped from the top power play. But now that he just scored a power play game winning goal we'll see now how things shake out next game yeah and by the way if burakovsky is on the second line there's nothing to be so sad about and off the top power play like he was that crazy run i told you he was on he was doing that in large part not on the top power play and with kadri and nichushkin at five on five so it's not the end of everything if burakovsky doesn't end up top line top power play right uh is it my turn of course, yeah. I'm very excited to see who you've got next on your list. It's my turn. Okay, so my next guy is kind of a flipped script here because we're talking a lot so far about players who had disappointing seasons or are unknown entities. Uh, and, you know, maybe we see a chance for them to, to reclaim themselves. But here's a guy who doesn't fit that and is like a totally different angle for this exercise on my playoff watch list. And his name is some, uh, his, his name is someone I've avoided in playoff drafts. Uh, Brian Rust is someone who I haven't been jumping for uh, as we, as I enter my various playoff pools and configurations. Here's the traditional Brian Rust script we had coming into the season. Sometimes he gets a turn with Sidney Crosby. He's good when he does, but it never lasts. And then this season, the script flipped and was, oh, he has an opportunity to play with Evgeny Malkin. Oh, Rust is crushing it, and he's still getting this opportunity. No one's taking it from him. Oh, and he's also just doing what he's done his whole career, but never had the deployment to actually put up points with. And he's actually raised his raid stats in several areas. So we're seeing this brand new Brian Rust, bona fide superstar, 56 points in 55 games, 17 power play points. And for the large part, he legit earned those numbers. Like, Brian Rust was the real deal. But now I'm about to sort of flip the Brian Rust script again and say, 
the whole season picture looked really good for him. But February onward did not. He had just 11 points in his last 18 games. And that includes like this big run he went on right in the last four or five games to sort of reclaim what had been just a dismal few weeks, especially for anyone who had uh, acquired him to gear up for their playoff run. Uh, Brian Rust was a huge disappointment towards the end of the season. And I truly don't know why. The only thing I've really seen is that Dominic Cahoon was injured And Brian Russ's crash in production happened when Cahoon was swapped out as uh, the third piece on Rustin Malkin's line. And in came Jaron McCann, in came Patrick Hornquist, in came Patrick Marlowe. And I guess neither configuration really worked for Brian Rust. And I legit don't know what was going on in those games. I even look at Evgeny Malkin. I'm like, well, was Malkin struggling? No. Malkin had 21 points in 17 games over that same stretch that Rust had just 11 points. So now I'm watching to see uh, what happened to Brian Rust. Is he just going to be able to get back on that horse and go just fine? Uh, was it just a temporary thing? Or did he turn into a pumpkin again? I believe that Brian Rust legitimately earned his incredible season. It's just super strange and hopefully just a small sample quirk that he fell off towards the end of the season and left us with a with a bad taste in our mouths. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of people who left a bad taste in our mouths on the Penguins, Sidney Crosby, someone who I had <laughs> in the couple, did nothing in like a very crucial week for me, which cost me, I think it was a playoff buy or whatever it was. So like, I think that Pittsburgh kind of did slow down at the end. I think their record also reflects that. And I talked about that with Jesse Marshall. It was a really fun interview back on episode, uh, whatever it was here, 287. And I think one of my first questions for him was, what happened to the Penguins at the end? And I think that Brian Rust is encompassed in that. Though, like you said, Brian Malkin was still able to put up points. Uh, Another reason, though, to be less into Brian Rust compared to what he did this season is that a lot of his points came on the power play, which he got that spot because Jacob Jacob, Jacob Gensel, I've decided to call him now, was injured. And now with Gensel back and also Jason Zucker in the picture, it looks like in the first game for Pittsburgh yesterday against Montreal, where they lost, uh, the top power play was Crosby, Gensel, Malkin, and Zucker for most of the game. So sometimes Hornquist is there, but he wasn't there. But like Rust wasn't there either. So it seems like now there's potentially, it's going to be hard for Rust. You know, there's a lot of good players there all of a sudden. So it's hard for him to be expected to get back on the top power play. And that obviously will limit his upside, even if he plays on a line with Malkin, which he did. He played on a line with Malkin and Jason Zucker in this game yesterday. So yeah, I am with you. I think that Rust is someone that's interesting to watch to see if he can be similar to what he was last year. I think without that top power play, that does cap his ceiling a little bit lower than a point per game like he was overall this year. Uh, On the other hand, Jason Zucker is someone I'm definitely watching to see how he does playing on this line with Malkin, also on the top power play. I imagine that Pittsburgh is going to, you know, come out strong in the next game to try to tie the series because that would be pretty wild if they ended up losing to Montreal. Though Carey Price just really stood on his head yesterday. I don't know. If, oh, I, I guess you said you watched in overtime. Yeah, he was amazing. Uh, so yeah, this whole series is very interesting to me. I'm actually, I have plans to socially distance on a patio tomorrow at a bar to watch game two of the Habs. And I'm going to be watching Rust, Zucker. And by the way, speaking of the Penguins, I'm also watching Justin Schultz, right? Because he's a pending unrestricted free agent. He assisted on Crosby's goal yesterday. And I f- think that like him having good playoffs could make a big difference, not only in fantasy, but just for him, for his wallet, right? If he has a good playoffs, that's going to help him a lot in his UFA journey, as opposed to if he just has to, you know, promote his 
past couple of seasons of production to try to get himself a higher salary. So I think that's going to be an interesting situation to watch. There have been times when Schultz has been out there on the top power play instead of Chris Letang. I saw a quote from the coach saying he kind of likes to go with whichever defenseman seems more rested, which is an interesting approach to take and I guess makes sense actually. So yeah, I'm watching Schultz. I'm watching Rust. I'm watching Zucker. And I'm, of course, uh, watching the Habs and see if they could keep this uh, miracle run of one game going to two and potentially to three. Yeah, I love that we'll say all this. So we're watching Russ, we're watching Schultz, and then like, Penguins play three games and we don't actually learn anything yeah. about them. That would be disappointing. So for the sake of my curiosity, I hope the series goes at least five. Yeah, also, by the way, I'm curious about the whole Murray-Jari situation, right? Murray played decently yesterday, stopped 32 of 35. Uh, we thought, I think uh, some interviews we did, you did an interview with Kat Silverman about goalies, and she was like, Jari's the better goalie. He's the goalie yeah. of the future for Pittsburgh. So it was interesting to see J- Murray get the start. So yeah, l- lots of things to watch. By the way, imagine if Pittsburgh loses and then gets Lafreniere, Crosby part two. Bit, that'd be kind of cool. You just know the Penguins or Oilers are going to be the one to get them. Somehow, <laughs> it's going to happen. Well, they both lost their first game, so yeah, I guess they're on exactly. track. All right, so that was your person. So let me go with... I'm pretty much done my list. Actually, one more name here, though, that I haven't said. Because, I, like I said, I actually did have Zucker on my list. But I'm, I'm going to count as pretty much a match. Because I wrote Zucker, and then I had Rustin <laughs> Schultz sort of in, in, as a side thing I was going to bring up anyways. So Let's if you bring it in Doc, maybe that's that's a half a match. Yeah, so Rustin we're basically Zucker, on the same page. Match. Yeah. yeah, we're picking the same teams, which I guess now isn't that interesting, considering there's only so many teams to talk <laughs> about. Uh, I wanted to go to Edmonton and talk about Oscar Clefbaum. Okay, so I saw a question back on Cam Robinson's Facebook group. He has a Patreon and a Facebook group that's great for talking about prospects. Uh, And so a guy named Gary asked, how do we feel about Evan Bouchard going forward? Is he the top power play quarterback one day? Could he be a 50-plus point defenseman one day? This was like not recently, by the way. This is like a month or two ago, but it just really stuck with me. And then someone else answered, saying, I think he'll be running that power play by mid-season next year. And yes, he most definitely has 50-plus potential. Clefbaum is just keeping that spot on the power play warm for him till he's ready. And then I actually commented there. I'm usually pretty quiet in this group. I got my own Facebook group that I'm responding to things to. But uh, I said, you may want to check out my interview with Low Tide because he was super high on Clefbaum and gave the impression that he thinks the job will remain his for the next little while. So if you go back and listen to my interview with Low Tide about the Oilers, I asked that same question. You know, is this the kind of thing where Clefbaum's just keeping the seat warm until Evan Bouchard, this first round pick that the Oilers took a couple years ago, Bouchard's going to be ready to come in. And Low Tide is very high on Clefbaum. And Clefbaum had a good year this year, right? He had a career high 45 point pace. And he had two assists yesterday in this loss to Chicago, including one on the power play. It seems like Clefbaum has established himself as like a guy that doesn't get bumped from the top power play. I remember a couple of years ago, he got bumped by Darnell Nurse at some point, but there was always those, you know, he got injured and then like maybe he was just like kind of recovering still. And that's why he wasn't able to get the top power play spot back right away. So I think just this playoffs could just really help Clefbaum cement himself, I think, as a great power play defenseman that should be drafted high in fantasy next year. I think if he does well, if the Oilers go far, then I think people are going to be confidently drafting him as like a 45-50 point defenseman, maybe with upside for more, since you always got to imagine that there's upside for more if you're on a power play with McDavid. But if he struggles, if he gets bumped from the top power play game, which I don't think is going to happen, then you start wondering, just like Gary, you know, oh, I guess Bouchard is going to be getting there pretty soon. So he's a guy I'm watching. I personally think he's going to be fine, and I think he's doing really well. Uh, but I know a lot of people are thinking that, you know, that that's not his spot for long. And so maybe we'll get some more evidence one way or the other during this playoffs. Well, people have been thinking that forever about Clefbaum. And on our show, I don't know if you've been with me. I don't think you've been with me the whole time. You were very into Darnell Nurse and for good reason. But for years, and I've 
been burned and probably led to some other people getting burned along the way, that Clefbaum is the guy. He's capable. He can do it. The Oilers just haven't wanted to make him the guy until they had no other option, which more or less happened this year. And of course, now that Clefbaum had a pretty good year, he was on a 45-point pace, 18 power play points in 62 games. So he was a fantastic power play quarterback. Of course, uh, you've got McDavid on there and dry settle on there to finish, but still to be, to be someone who's part of the play and pick up a point on that, uh, McDavid and dry settle aren't doing it all by themselves. So, uh, Clefbaum is a fantastic fantasy own, I think. And, uh, I hope the Oilers can keep it that way by not throwing him to the wolves as soon as they can, which they seem, they have seemed pretty eager to get rid of him for the last few years. Uh, it's to their good fortune that they haven't and that they still have him available. But yeah, with guys like Bouchard and I guess to some extent even Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones, like there's always been a bunch of names lining up that the Oilers want to give a chance to take Clefbaum's spot. I'm hoping he can cement his spot a little better though and, and kind of uh, uh, defend his yeah. <laughs> his placement in the lineup with his performance in the postseason. Yeah, I think he kind of has. I think that there's like there's a lot of Oilers, like you said, like, there's a lot of like sort of young Oilers defensemen, and so I think a lot of the prospect people out there that have you know drafted these people in their dynasty leagues are excited for them to step in and take this job. And Evan Bouchard, you know, mostly amongst them as the guy that was drafted in the first round. And I just think like Clefbaum seems really good, and like, now is the chance for him to show it on on the big stage. So I, I really hope the Oilers can turn this around. Play Miko Koskinen. Like imagine me a year ago thinking that in a year from now I'm going to be hoping the Oilers play Miko Koskinen because he was so terrible but he actually had a good year this year which I discussed also in that interview by the way which was very interesting and like Koskinen seems like a solid goal I don't know why they played Mike Smith so let's go next game I'm predicting a big Oilers win against Chicago I, I don't even think it's going to be close so we'll see if I'm right I think Clefbaum is going to be a big part of it yeah, for sure. So uh, I think he can solidify his spot in the lineup like you do. Somebody else who is looking to solidify their spot in the lineup this postseason who's on my watch list. And maybe now I, I feel like I'm stretching. I've got a few guys here. Uh, I've got three guys left and maybe I'll just I'll knock them down. You can let me know what you think, uh, uh, how much we want to expand. But I'll just get to him. Jacob Vrana is someone who also wants to show that he deserves to stay where he belongs. This season, Vrana had a breakout season, 25 goals and 27 assists for 52 points in 69 games, 12 power play points, 187 shots on goal. That's over two and a half shots per game in less than 15 minutes of ice on average. So putting all that together, doing so much on the shot clock with so little ice time relatively, that puts him in the top 15 in the NHL in shot on goal and shot attempt rate. So basically, Jacob Vrana was throwing the puck on net nonstop, doing a great job of it. Uh, his highlight run was 44 points in 48 games. Uh, so that was a large swath of his production. So it's like, well, what are we watching? Hasn't he already solidified his, his place in the lineup? Well, uh, that 44 points in 48 games chops off the first 10 games at the start and the last 10 games at the end before the pause where Vrana struggled to produce. And the common factor in both those stretches, the first 10 and last 10 where Vrana wasn't doing a whole lot, was that he wasn't with Evgeny Kuznetsov as his centerman. Even subbing in Nick Backstrom for those last 10 games did not help Vrana produce. So I just want to see if Vrana's going to land in a spot in the lineup where he gets to play with Kuznetsov. And if he doesn't, is he going to be able to produce without him? Well, we haven't seen him pr produce without Kuznetsov. 
I mean, like, he's the second line guy, like, locked in, right? And, and you know, sometimes they put Ovechkin with Kuznetsov, and sometimes they put Ovechkin with Backstrom. And, they, you know, I could kind of think of them as, like, I wouldn't say that Verana is, like, depending on getting Kuznetsov over Backstrom. I'm surprised that you bring that up just because Backstrom's, like, a really good player. And if he's on a line, he's going to be on a line with Oshi and one of those centermen. And then yeah, it's but that's be- the concern. If Verana can't produce with Oshi, like, or with Brax- Backstrom, why, why could he only find chemistry right. with one center? Yeah, so it is an interesting like thing. Obviously, that's a very small sample size, and I wonder if that was the big difference maker. And I guess, yeah, we'll need to see more games, because I think the plan for the playoffs, according to my interview that I did... Yeah, sorry for, like, I'm just promoting all these old shows, but by the way, if, if you people are listening to this, you didn't listen to these past 31 Beats episodes, I talked to some really smart people, including Samantha Pell, about the Washington Capitals, and we talked about Verona... Um, oh, but first we talked about how it looks like Ovechkin's going to be playing with Kuznetsov and Tom Wilson, because that was what was the successful trio that they had for their last playoff run and that's what they were doing at the end of the season so it seems like Verona will we will see some evidence of how Verona can do with Backstrom because I think that's the plan but of course as we've even learned during this episode that can definitely change yeah Verona's an interesting guy he had such a great season plus it's with like pretty low ice time still and hardly any power play time this seems like the look of a guy that if he somehow gets on the PP1 say Oshi gets injured I don't know who, however or sometimes Kuznetsov got bumped for a game or two and Verona got up there but like if Verona could have a full season on the top power play seems like the kind of guy that could get like 75 80 points based on what we saw this year but we haven't seen it yet and like you bring up now we haven't even seen him put up points playing with backstrom and not kuznetsov so yeah he'll be someone definitely interesting to watch in the playoffs good one brian thanks you want to hear a couple more do you do you have any more I have just, like, guys I could throw out. Like, I've basically gone through the list of the ones I wanted to dive deep into. So why don't you throw that? Though, actually, since we're on Washington, let me just throw out there. I am interested in seeing how Holtby does, like, because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Now we know Samsonov is not going to be available for these playoffs. So it's all up to Holtby to take the caps to the end. And if he does it, he's probably going to secure a great contract. And if he stinks like he did for a lot of this year, then it's probably going to be tough for him to get a long-term big money deal. So that'll be interesting. Hot take. I don't know how hot this is. Either way, he's gone, right? Even if he has a, an amazing postseason, well, Holtby is not going... If he has an amazing postseason, that's going to price him out of Washington. I wonder, right? It's so hard to not re-sign like a cup, like a two-time cup-winning goalie if, if they win, so... Who's been with your franchise forever. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, that's definitely an, an interesting storyline for the postseason and, yeah, into the offseason. Uh, yeah, we'll see. And obviously, he can make it easy on everyone if he just stinks. And then they'll be like, all right... Let's go with Samsonov already. We're done with this Holtby business, but uh, I think he'll be fine. But uh, what do I know? That was like a total non sequitur that I based that on nothing. <laughs> okay, so Brian, who are your next yeah, two? You, just- you were the one calling for Holtby to essentially be benched and make room for Samsonov the whole way through. Well, d- especially once I added Samsonov to my fancy team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I don't have a smooth segue for this, but Robert Thomas is my next uh, playoff watch list guy. Uh, Robert Thomas, for anyone who doesn't know, is on the St. Louis Blues. Uh, you should know, though, because he had 10 goals and 32 assists for 42 points in 66 games, uh, which, okay, fine, that's only a 52-point pace, but that included a start to the season where Thomas uh, started playing just, like, less than 10 minutes a night for the first week and a bit, had very little to show for it. But for the most part of the season, from mid-November onwards, Robert Thomas was actually above a 60-point pace, 38 points in 50 games. Those are exactly Johnny Gaudreau's numbers in his 50 games. Uh, Thomas did most of this production with Alex Steen and Tyler Bozak, then also produced with Zach Sanford and David Perrin, which is nice, because unlike Jacob Vrana, okay, uh, Thomas... We're going to get people so mad at us. Perron. We know it's Perron. <laughs> 
David, what did I say? Perrin. Oh, David Perron. Uh, Robert Thomas didn't look so line dependent being able to produce wherever. Like, if you can make it with Alex Steen and Tyler Bozak, it's like making it in New York. You can make it anywhere. Uh, Thomas's on-ice shooting percentage was a little high, but he's starting to look like maybe he's growing into this capable second-line center that we've wanted him to, or a second-line player, at least, uh, for the last year that we've sort of been seeing, if is he, is he going to round out into this type of player? Um, maybe he's like this light version of Kuznetsov or Shifley or Barzal, who can help set up uh, someone else who's a finisher on his line, because he doesn't shoot. He just, uh, Thomas took just 87 shots in 42 games, so that's just like you know, one in uh, under two shots a game. He's not someone who's going to score a ton of goals. So what I want to see this postseason is uh, with a fully healthy lineup, where does Thomas fit in? We've already got an answer. He's playing with Steen and Bozak on the third line, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, you know, you've got Shen ahead of you. You've got Ryan O'Reilly ahead of you. There's not a whole lot of room for Robert Thomas to grow in that lineup. So I guess now the question is, can Robert Thomas produce from a top nine or does he really need to be playing with David Perron to be able to put up sustained production? So that's someone else I'm watching is like more of a deep cut. Yeah, I mean, Tarasenko's back. So that's the big thing in St. Louis. And obviously that makes a big difference to how they shake out their lines. And yeah, in this game today against Colorado, they went Tarasenko, Schwartz, Shen, the classic STL line. Wait, that's not, STL was Lettera. Okay, well, I guess the classic line that they've had for a couple of years anyways of Tarasenko, Shannon Schwartz when everyone's healthy. And then they had O'Reilly with David Perron and this guy, Zach Sanford, who, if you recall, had like those crazy couple of games over a stretch playing with Perron and O'Reilly on the second line. I guess that secured him that spot. I guess that's, to me, the spot that Thomas is going for. I don't know if he's going to get a center spot in the top six. Maybe St. Louis is happier to just leave him in the bottom six and like centering that third line. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be tough for him to make an impact just because of how deep the Blues are and how they, I guess, like Zach Sanford here on the second line. Also interesting, by the way, Brian, the top power play for the Blues, and at least this game, Schwartz, Shen, Perron, O'Reilly, and Petrangelo. So one obviously uh, surprising name that is missing is Vladimir Tarasenko, who was on the second power play. So that's not something you expect to hear, right? Tarasenko is supposed to be the superstar on the team. I'm curious to see if that's going to last. I, I can't imagine it will, but I guess that is a pretty stacked top power play, right? Like, who does he bump? There's no obvious name. No, there, I guess, well, it's, but it's obvious that Tarasenko should be on the top unit. I guess the Blues are like, okay, uh, maybe Tarasenko with Rob Thomas and Tyler Bozak and Sammy Blaze on the second unit can help do yeah. something there with Colton Pareko. And actually, you bring up a good point because I'm looking now and in this past game, anyways, it looks like both units got pretty much yeah. the same amount of time, just a little bit more for the top power. So maybe they're just going to try to go for a 50-50 thing. Also, it's a round-robin game. I'm sure they don't yeah. care too, too much. So it'll be interesting to see what they do when they actually get into real games that matter in terms of they could potentially get eliminated. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line is that it's a, it's a round-robin game. So we'll see what happens when, when we're in a meaningful game. But it's an interesting uh, little hiccup there that I, I don't know how many people would have noticed had you not pointed it out, Elon. So thank you for that. And hey, uh, by the way, good for Robert Thomas. If Tarasenko's on the second power play, that's someone good to play with. <laughs> it's great news for Robert Thomas, who, like, you know, is a super boring player, like, to own. Like, his production doesn't come in an exciting way, uh... Even his upside seems pretty limited. He seems to be stuck on the third line. He doesn't take shots. So I, I feel like I've put myself to sleep talking about him a little. All right, so uh, redeem yourself here. We don't want to end the show on a boring note. Uh, you know, I should have went backwards up my list then. I saved the worst for last, Elon. <laughs> my last guy is Jake DeBrusque, who is just like, Yawn. maybe now. 
Maybe now. That's all. Because, like, we wanted him to break out this year again for, like, the third year in a row. Former 15th overall pick. He's just treading water. He paced for 44 points after two seasons of pacing for 50 points. I don't think he's taken a step back. I think there was some bad variance there. But still, DeBrus gets to play wingman to David Krejci. Occasional turns on the top power play. Whenever the Bruins want to break up that top line, DeBrus can be could be someone who benefits, but he hasn't yet. So now uh, he turns 24 years old in October, and we're still waiting for this breakout. And he's not quite like the Timo Myers or the Oliver Bjorkstrands or the Jacob Vranas of the world, because before they broke out, they all had great rates with bad deployment. And we just saw, we're like, these guys need more minutes. DeBrusque just looks eh uh, in what numbers he does put up and has decent deployment already. So it's like DeBrusque needs to find this new level. So here I am thinking, okay, the NHL playoffs, very romantic opportunity for Jake DeBrusque to step up, find that new level, be a difference maker for his team. I, I'm just watching. I'm like forever watching Jake DeBrusque just because it seems like he has the tools, seems like he has the deployment, seems like he should have that next gear. And t- about to turn 24 years old is when some of these guys break out. So this is like his last stand with me, though. Yeah, I'm like he's not terrible. Like he's a guy that I wouldn't mind having on my fantasy team if you know it's a deep league, and he's someone who always is a threat to put up points because he's in the top six. Sometimes get top power play time, but uh, yeah, I'm not like too excited about him. I see Charlie Coyle got some top power play time in this loss to Philly today. Like DeBrusque was there for a bit, and then also we had Coyle taking his place to play with obviously Marshawn Pasternak and Bergeron. So. Yeah, that was boring. So let me do a, a couple to end the show. <laughs> okay, yeah, pick it up. Uh, well, these are guys that it's just kind of like, I've brought them up on Patreon cast recently of just the players that I, I lump these three together. And mainly two of them, actually. It's two guys who just had always been people we were interested in, but never did anything. And they just like totally exploded for the last couple of months of this season. One of them had was interrupted by an injury. But like guys who just like became point per game superstars on our fantasy teams. You probably all know who I'm talking about here. I'm talking about Kevin Fiala and Oliver Bjorkstrand, who we've talked about a ton on the show, so that's why I didn't bring them up. And it's like, I just want to see, like, are they going to keep it up? Are we still going to keep going point per game? Maybe I'm not being fair, by the way, to one of them by lumping them in with the other one. But, uh, you know, Bjorkstrand, I know, had a high shooting percentage. Fiala is someone who, like, a lot of people are really excited about. So I just want to see if they could keep what they were doing in the regular season happening in the playoffs. Like, the deployment is just as good as we could expect it to be. So now it's just like, are these guys, I think they're good, clearly, but are they, like, these, like, point per game plus superstars that they showed stretches of being? And I don't think we're going to get the full answer in the playoffs, but obviously if one of these teams, Columbus or or Minnesota, goes on a run, then maybe we'll see more from these guys. By the way, Columbus and Toronto, I don't know why I give these updates, but it's a tied (laughs) 0-0 midway through the second period. So I don't know if anyone was expecting Toronto to be shut out by, so far, uh, not Elvis Merzlikens. By the way, Brian, were you surprised that it was Corpusalo who got the start today and not Merzlikens? No, not especially. Tortorella seems like a guy who is happy to go with the incumbent goalie, and I think Corpusalo still is that. I saw there was a minor uproar on Twitter. You know, uh, Merzlikens has better numbers in every way, and for as good as Corpusalo's season was, he still only had a 9-11 on the air. And I've mentioned going into this season that he was totally unproven and never really had a great, meaningful stretch of hockey. So it's interesting that they played him, uh, but we know they're going to protect him really well. And uh, honestly, I don't think it matters so much. I, I guess Merzlikens, you could argue, is someone who could steal a game. But then I saw the argument, well, Corbisalo won the Calder Cup with the Lake Erie Monsters, I guess it's uh, four or five years ago now. So he's been in high-pressure situations. He's won those games. Yeah. So maybe that's why he's older. I don't know. I Like, I don't know why... 
coaches make whatever goalie choices they do. I, I can mean, just so far so good, it. right? Like 18 yeah. saves on 18 shots so far midway through the second period. By the time you're listening to this, you'll know how this game <laughs> turned out. Uh, and Frederick Anderson obviously having a great game himself. 19 saves so far. So those are two guys. And the third guy that I kind of like lump with those two, but it was for a much shorter time span, is Tyler Toffoli, who went to Vancouver, totally exploded for that short end of the season. And it, there's a lot of intrigue, I think, to me, at least in Vancouver with the Lions, because Toffoli bumped Besser to the second line, which is still good with Horvat and Tanner Pearson, but also he bumped Brock Besser to the second power play during the training camp. And I think that's the yes. plan for the Canucks. So yeah, uh, though Toffoli is an unrestricted free agent. So again, like who knows until we see what also happens in the off season. But this is the a kind of situation where Toffoli can really establish himself as like a true top line, like top power play star, or he could, you know, potentially get bumped like midway through the series because Vancouver's struggling and Brock Besser takes that spot back. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Absolutely. Besser is for sure a watchlist guy. There's not a whole lot to say about him other than he had opportunity taken away from him. And let's see if he'll earn it back in these playoffs. So uh, that's a really interesting storyline. We should all be watching closely to see if he can work himself back in to the top power play at least, and then to see where he can land at even strength. Uh, so absolutely. I'm glad that's a really good guy to end on. Bjorkson and Fiala, I sort of assumed would be on your list. And my prepared answer was just like, I don't need to watch them. I'm sold on both Bjorkstrand and Fiala, as you would know, had you listened. Well, you listened. I'm talking to the listeners now. Had you listened to our, our shows this season, uh, we're sold. We're in on them. There's nothing left to watch. Like, even if they have a bad postseason, I'm not giving up. I, I think they're exactly the players they showed themselves to be last year. Wow. I mean, I don't know. I'm actually surprised, Brian. Like, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but like, you're always like a guy, like, you look at the big sample size, you don't let like short stretches depend. And I know you're going to say like, Bjorkstrand, you, we knew he was good. He just didn't get the opportunity. But like, then I would respond saying, well, who knows if he's going to hold the opportunity? Like, Tortorella loves to change things around. So I still feel like there's, I think we know they're good for sure. To me, it's like, I want to know how good. Like, are we talking like superstars like they seem to be? Or are we talking like 60 point guys? So, but anyway, we're, we're splitting hairs. It'll be fun to watch. This whole playoffs is going to be so fun to watch. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in to our first non-beat writer episode in a while i hope it wasn't too rusty for you not brian rusty uh but yeah we're shaking off the cobwebs and very excited to do some podcasts talking about the playoff hockey that we've all been enjoying what what a wild treat to come to us in august and all of a sudden we have like five hockey games a day to watch for the next couple of months This this is a blast I can't at all understand what's happening. It's very strange to be able to turn on the TV or like fire up the computer and see hockey gifs and hockey games and hockey highlights and to be talking about it and thinking about it now. It's like setting off my whole circadian rhythm. Brian, hang in there. You're going to figure it out. You're going to be fine. Remember, after we're done, it's around 9.30. You should probably be getting ready to go to bed. So, you know, maybe like watch the end of this Leafs game, though, because this looks like it's going to be a very exciting game. That's definitely what I'm going to be doing. So, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to get some feedback from you. We tried like a new format here. I don't know if you noticed. Maybe this is like more of an insider's thing, but Brian and I didn't, you know, do our typical keeping Carlson. Elon asks questions and Brian answers the questions. We're thinking for the playoffs, we might be a little bit more loose since, like I said, it is the playoffs. It's not like super serious fantasy and it's super small sample sizes. So we're planning on doing shows like this. We'd love to hear your feedback on what you thought about the show. So you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. If you're in the Facebook group for the patrons, we'd love to hear from you there. If you want to become a patron all summer long, we're still at like a buck. 
and you get all the perks, right? So you can go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron, sign up, join join the fun on the Facebook group. I think we're going to have a lot of fun in the playoffs talking about all this stuff. And plus, we get some extra content, Brian. We're going to do a patron cast, I believe, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday where we answer all the questions from the patrons. We always have a blast there. But before then, we're going to have another episode next Sunday. So make sure you're subscribed. And uh, yeah, I think that's time to cue the outro music. And Brian, finally, I don't have to do it. Why don't you go ahead and read these credits that you wrote? And I'm always reading your credits and lying about the things that I use to research the show. <laughs> All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons in the aforementioned Facebook group. Please join us just a buck a month. Patreon.com slash Keeping Carlson. Logo art by Brandon Weeb, outro music by Pat Roach, and a special thank you to one of our very special patrons, Kevin Hibert, who helped develop this like customized tool for me uh, over the last couple months while we were on pause, uh, where I can like easily search up all the info I want, like at a very easy click, uh, beautiful visuals uh, that I can see all the info I need. So thanks, Kevin. But wait, Brian, are you just like? pointing this out to make everyone jealous or is this yeah. something like available for other people no they can it's still in production okay well if you become a patron maybe you could check <laughs> well no i don't even want to promote that this is kevin's thing anyway okay we'll thank you kevin. kevin good job uh, so thanks a lot kevin for that uh this episode was researched with help from kevin's tool and dauber hockey frozen pool dauber prospects natural stat trick evolving hockey you're right i didn't use half of these this is my usual list but I didn't use half of them. But still, they're, they're good resources. Cat-friendly, charting hockey, hockeygoalies.org, hockey reference, hockey biz, hockey database, lead prospects, and Roto World. Yeah, I used ESPN. That's what I've been using right now to see game updates mid-show to provide these updates I'm sure you're all enjoying. Uh, and I also, I guess, have to say I used DraftKings when we pointed out some of these player values. And don't forget to sign up for DraftKings with that offer code Carlson to win millions of dollars. Thanks so much again. Oh, one last thing. Once again, congratulations to Max Fredrickson for winning the freaking Cupful Tier 1 this year. So congrats to you. Thanks to the listeners. And, okay, this was a great show. Talk to you all next week. Until next time, keep on keeping Carl Son. Whew. We did it. Wow.